Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. need you to do. Um, If you're visiting with us, just understand, okay, uh, just understand that uh, we're going to have family discussions for about the next uh, three or four weeks. You can say things in family discussions that you don't say uh, when others are around, right? Have y'all ever had those at home? Like you look at your little kids, especially when they were young, and say, this is just for our family, and if you say anything to anybody, I will kill you. Okay. All right. No, y'all don't do that. That's just me. Okay. Um, so we're going to have some family conversations. This is what I want you to do. A couple of instructions. If you're not using your cell phone or your tablet to take notes, put it down. Facebook will survive with you without you for the next 30 minutes. All right? Um, I'm asking you to remove distractions. If you cannot stay focused by, with, by, uh, with who you're sitting by, move. Um, I also want to say this to you. If what we talk about this morning does not fit you, then I give you permission to ignore it. But if the shoe fits, I want you to wear it. And I want you to own it. Are we, are we all on the same page? Okay. I just finished a series with you called Sheepish where we went through and um, dismantled uh, Psalm chapter 23 and began to talk about the implications for us. We acknowledged in that psalm that the Lord is our shepherd, but more importantly, we get very personal about this, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, But I also want you to understand that the kingdom of God that he set up Uh, and it was his idea, it wasn't our idea. Man did not create church, God did. Jesus gave his life for the church, and he set up structure. And I don't even like the structure he set up sometimes because then what happens is he puts the responsibility of leadership on under-shepherds, and I happen to be one of those. There are a lot of days I don't want to be an under-shepherd because of the responsibilities that are involved in that and the load. It is a load. Um, so so I, when I stand here with the microphone this morning, I'm not coming to you as the shepherd, but I am standing here as your shepherd. That is the position that God has placed me in. We talked about the fact that the shepherd uh, in Psalm chapter 23, talks, he talks to us about two items that he uses to tend the sheep. One is his staff, which is comforting. It pulls uh, and directs and guides the sheep. We talked about all that. But The one we don't talk about and don't like very much is the rod. And we talked about the fact that the rod is often used in a disciplinary way, a correcting way. And I just need to tell you this morning that it's going to get pretty painful in here over the next few weeks. Um, But I also want to remind you that I made a statement that uh, when, when our shepherd leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, he does it on purpose and with an end in mind. There's a purpose in the pain. We don't just, I don't need to get up, I think some of y'all just think I like to, like, maybe I do, I don't know, but, but maybe I just like to be mean. 
uh, just like to be blunt and brash. There are, honestly, y'all, I have conversations. Y'all don't know the conversations I have in my own spirit. Julie knows the, the prophetic side of me I don't like very much. There have been a lot of conversations where I've talked to God and said, why don't you leave me alone? Why are you tasking me with saying this? Why don't you raise up another voice to say this? And then when I try to be quiet, I can't because it's like a fire that shut up in my bones. And so this morning, I believe that we need to be prodded as a shepherd prods the sheep to fix some stuff. And so we're going to do that as a family this morning. All right, are you ready? Buckle up. All right. Listen carefully. Apply it if it applies. Dismiss it if it doesn't. Numbers chapter 10. Just as background, Numbers chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. In the second year, that's important. In the second year, the children of Israel have come out of bondage, and it's the second year. In the second year, the 20th day of the second month, the cloud went up from over the dwelling of the testimony at that, the people of Israel set out on their travels from the wilderness of Sinai until the cloud finally settled in the wilderness of Paran. They began their march at the command of God through Moses in the second year. Numbers chapter 11, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 9. The people fell to grumbling over their hard life. God heard. Just stop there as a side note and just remind you that God hears. Okay, that's, that's encouraging and I'm glad he hears, but there are times I wish we had like these soundproof rooms where he couldn't hear. This is one of those instances. We forget that God hears, and it says they begin to grumble over their hard life, and God heard. Just a caution this morning, God hears everything you say. Okay, I couldn't get no help. I understand. I understand. When he heard his, when he heard his people grumbling, his anger flared. Then fire blazed up and burned the outer boundaries of the camp. The people cried out for help to Moses, and Moses prayed to God, and the fire died down. And they named the place Tabera, or Blaze, because fire from God had blazed up against them. The riffraff among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Any of the parents in here like it when your children whine? Just want to, right, okay. Just, uh, God doesn't like it when we whine. But that's what they're doing. They're whining. This is what they said in their whining. I don't think they just said it like I'm, I don't think they just said, why can't we have meat? I think they're, why, why can't we have some meat? We want some meat. Can we please have some meat? Okay, they whine, all right. This is what they say. We ate fish in Egypt and got it free. I'm going to come back to that. To say nothing of the cucumbers, and why anybody would want cucumbers, I don't know, but to, to say nothing of cucumbers and melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. Manna was a seed-like substance with a shiny appearance like resin. The people went around collecting it, and ground it between stones or pounded it in a mortar. Then they boiled it in a pot and shaped it into cakes. And it tasted like a delicacy. Cooked in olive oil. 
And when the dew fell on the, ground, the camp at night, the manna was right there with it. Father, this morning, I desperately need your help. You've tasked me this morning as an under-shepherd to bring a rod-like word. But I'm asking you to be the one that you said that you would be, which would be the one that goes before me and prepares the way. And I know that the way that you have to prepare the way this morning is to prepare the hearts and the ears of your people and allow us to remember that a parent that does not correct does not love. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would guard my mouth so that I say it right and I say it clearly and concisely to the place that we can understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, for those of us that live in America, the idea of a plague is almost foreign, at least for those that are uh, probably my, a little older than me and much younger than me. We don't understand the concept of plague. It's not that our, our nation has never had plagues, it's just that we don't remember it. There have been plagues of sickness. Uh, there, there was once a plague of measles, and there was once a plague of chickenpox, and there was a once a plague of mumps, and everybody had it, and everybody was fighting it. But most of us don't remember those days because of the advancements in medicine. There have been plagues of violence, civil war, civil rights. So there's been violence that swept across our nation. But some of you in, those, in this room were born early enough that you do remember those days. But for most of us, we only have glimpses of riots and glimpses of that kind of thing taking place. And we really don't understand the concept of a plague of violence. There have been uh, financial plagues. Uh, the, the one that is probably the most famous, I, I, some of you in here lived through that, but most of us don't have any idea it was called the Great Depression. Interestingly enough, there is another term for the Great Depression that most of us have never heard. It's the title of our message this morning. It was also called the Plague of Plenty. It sounds like a contradiction when you're dealing with a depression and a financial uh, catastrophe and collapse until you understand why they called it the Plague of Plenty. This is why. Um, there was mass production of both agricultural and factory goods. And here was the problem. With mass production, there comes a decrease in demand. That's a powerful statement that we're going to come back to. With mass production, there was a decrease in demand. And since there was a decrease in demand, then there was unemployment because you didn't need to make as much stuff, and so people were losing their jobs. And when there's unemployment, there was a collapse. It was a plague of plenty. So we have plagues in our history, but most of us don't have any plagues in our memory. You're saying, well, why are you talking about plague when the title is famine? Just hang on. Today, I just want to bluntly and also brokenheartedly tell you that we are experiencing a famine today. In our lifetime, right now, this, this Sunday, July the 30th, 2017, uh, in, in the movement that we call Christianity in particular, there is a famine taking place. Now, we went to the conference. We heard us, uh, the premier statistician stand up and talk to us about Christianity. And he made these assertions based on facts, based on clinical research, that the average 
um, of church attendance in America today is basically the same it's been since 1930. So you would say, well, that doesn't sound like a famine. I understand, so, so, but bear with me. He says that the dilemma is, is that although church attendance has not dropped that much, the categories of people that attend church has changed. And I don't remember all the terms he talked about, but he basically said if these four fingers represent the landscape of the population of America, you have 25% of America, particularly in the next 50 years, that will fall into this category. They don't believe in anything or they believe in something else other than our God. Muslim, Hindu, atheist, all find themselves in this 25%. He said the dilemma that we're facing is that these next 25% that have been found inside the four walls of the church over the last decades, hundreds of years, have been broken down into three categories and it's been an equal split of 25%. There are those that are cultural Christians, which means they look more like our culture than they look like Jesus. There's another group, and again, I don't remember the term he used. It started with a C, but it basically is nominal Christians. They attend regularly, uh, or, or they are involved to some degree, but it really has no bearing on their life. Then there's the fourth group of 25%, with, which is convictional Christians, which means their entire life is made up around the tenets of the church, the gathering together, the belief system that we espouse and hold dear. That's the 25%. And he said the dilemma is, is that in the next 50 years, we already start to see it is that these two groups uh, which is 50% of, of the 75% of Christians are shifting and they're joining this first group and they look more like the first group than they look like the last group that's a famine that's a famine so we're right in the middle of that in this movement that we call Christianity but what I want to say to you this morning is that would be really bad enough to know if it was just reserved for certain certain pockets of Christianity. But what I want to say to you this morning is that I I believe that famine, the early stages of famine, have come to roost at passion. Uh, This this famine that I'm talking about is a famine of a spiritual nature. I want to tell you this morning that the symptoms are there if you know where to look. From this side of the lights, the signs of famine, the start of famine are obvious and apparent. Let me, I'm going to read them the way I wrote them so I don't insert my own opinion. The symptoms that I see are these. The glazed over eyes. The lack of passion. The lack of participation or anticipation for worship. Let me say, that's just your opinion. No, it's not. Ask any one of our worship leaders, is, is, has it been fun to lead worship in the last six months? And they will tell you the reason they close their eyes is because they don't want to look at us. Okay, I knew... I'm, There's lack of concern. There's lack of action. There's lack of obedience to His Word. Whether it's me or the voices or guest speakers or people inside our own body that bring the Word, we are bringing the Word. But we just don't obey it. We amen it. 
and then we ignore it. We treat gathering together, which has been commanded by Scripture. You do recognize, I'm sick of Facebook talking about, I don't need to go to church. Listen, y'all, this was commanded by Christ. This is not optional. He didn't say, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves unless you can do something else. He makes it very clear that this is a command from Christ, that we are to gather together so that as we gather together, we gather strength. And yet we continue to treat it as optional. Listen to me, I'm not reveling against vacation, we're taking one. Please, don't don't mishear me. I will never gripe at you at taking vacation. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intentionally laying out of church because you have better options or because it's too inconvenient to get up. Okay. Those are signs of famine. I can feel it. I can see it. And I know it's approaching. Now, before you accuse me of, uh, of being a prophet of doom and despair, let me make this statement very clear to you. I want you to understand me. I see it approaching rapidly. But I also want you to know that we can stop it. I want you to understand that we have the ability to press into green pastures. We have the ability. We can make the choice. We can make the determination in our own heart and in our own spirit to to make the steps necessary to stop the famine and to find the life that God wants us to have. I believe that with all of my heart. I bring this to your attention because I want us to stop it. I want us to correct it. I want us to fix it. So we're going to talk about in the coming weeks how to stop famine and and some of the things that we need to do. But I want to say this to you. I think that we're experiencing the first taste of famine in a direct, as a direct result of a plague. They're different. A plague is not necessarily a famine. I believe a plague leads to a famine. And I believe that we are tasting, uh, beginning to see this early signs of a famine as a direct result of a plague. And I think, much like the financial collapse that took place during the Great Depression, what we're seeing is that this spiritual famine that we are beginning to taste is a direct result of a plague of plenty. Let's see if I can help you this morning and then I'll get out of your way. We're not the first to fall to this, this plague. I just read to you an account out of the Old Testament of this exact same thing that took place. What you have just read is an account of the children of Israel after 400 years of slave labor. They now find themselves free. Two years they have been free. Right? Their freedom has resulted in an extended period of time in the wilderness. Isn't it funny how many of us begin this journey thinking it's always going to be paradise? Cakewalk. Tiptoe through the tulips. And then when we hit wilderness, we don't like it very much. 
That's, the, that's what's happened. Now, in just over two years, wilderness travel has caused them to, to entirely forget the 400 years of bondage. And what, we do, what they do is we come to Numbers chapter 11 and we read that the people begin to complain, begin to, complain to God. Now, I want you to notice this. They complain by telling a lie. That's exactly what they do. Because they make this statement to themselves. They are lying on themselves. And they say this. We had all the fish, all the cucumbers, all the garlic, all the leeks that we wanted to eat in Egypt, and we got them for free. That is a lie. They did not obtain those things for free. It was slave labor. They got the food that they got as a direct result of the fact that a Pharaoh was whipping them over their back to cause them to build bricks with very little straw, to work in the hot sun, to build pyramids and palaces that they did not own. It was a lie. They did not get that stuff for free. And I would say to you that many of us are... We are telling ourselves lies. Lies like this. To justify our own famine. These are some of the lies we tell us. The preaching was better two years ago. The music used to be more anointed. It's quiet up in here. I have done my duty. Now I'm going to take a break. I'm too old. I have nothing to offer. I'm too young. Nobody will listen to me. I'm too busy. This isn't important. Those are all lies. We tell ourselves those lies to justify the plague that we are experiencing. The first step towards famine is that we allow, we convince ourselves that the old days are better than they really were. Y'all didn't hear me? That was good. I'll amen myself. The first step towards a famine is we begin to convince ourselves that the old days were better than they really were. That's what we do. We allow our memories to become more powerful than the moments that we are blessed to experience right now. So then this is what happens. Uh, we miss the gift and the power and the greatness of what we're hearing and seeing and tasting and living in because we glamorize our past and so we take our today for granted. Notice what Scripture says. It says the, the Israelites were privileged to get manna every day. Manna. Angel food cake. The writer says it was a delicacy. Okay, I don't know what you consider a delicacy, but let me do it in the Steve Ely version. They ate donuts for breakfast, donuts for lunch, and donuts for dinner. Buttermilk donuts. Oh, y'all don't know, because y'all didn't grow up in Anadarko. There was this little donut shop that my dad, my dad's responsible for my heart attack, by the way, because he took us to get donuts every day. 
Every day of my life growing up, I let him off the hook because uh, I was enjoying it. It was fun. Uh, every day of my life, I think, all through elementary school, growing up, either my, we, would eat, we would do one of two things. We would either go to my grandmother's house and we would eat hot, fresh cinnamon rolls. Or we would go to the donut shop on the way to school, and they had these things called, I've never found them anywhere else, buttermilk crisps. Oh. <laughs> it was manna. <laughs> and they had it every day. And they begin to complain. Why? Because they had a plague of plenty. Notice this. They had sufficient supply. Check this out. They didn't have to work for it. Some of y'all do no work towards what you experience in here on Sunday morning. And then you complain. No prayer, no fasting, no calling on God. And then it wasn't anointed enough for you. May I submit to you, maybe you were the one that wasn't anointed. Okay. I went off my notes. That's why I've been sticking to my notes. Because I knew I could get them. Okay. They didn't have to tend it. They didn't have to water it. They didn't have to plant it. They just roll in right before it starts, or usually three songs in. And it was there. And they experienced a famine because they had plenty. Can I tell you a, a truth that I've discovered this morning in my own life, and that is this, is that the plague of plenty always gives birth to the prison of preference. The plague of plenty always leads to the prison of preference. Plenty causes us to take for granted what we have. Listen to me. When we have plenty, if we are not careful, we become picky. Okay. Some of y'all aren't liking me. That's all right. The children of Israel have so much manna, 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 that's all we get, that they become picky. And they, be, they actually begin to long, check this out, for bondage. That is mind-boggling to me. Except, oh boy, I'm asking if I can say what I was going to say. And yet some of us have become so picky that we long for other fellowships even though we know that we're going to go there and remain in our bondage because it's new. I'll come back to that. They became prisoners to their own preferences so much so that, they, they were, they, that when they were blessed with something other than their desires, they rebel and they balk. And isn't that what happens to most of us today? We have become uh, so inundated with mass production that it has resulted in a diminished demand. 
Y'all missed that. We are privileged to have so much mass production that it has diminished our demand. Let me see if I can help you. We have so much now that uh, we base our spiritual intake strictly on preference rather than whether it sustains us or not. Okay, let me break it down real practical for you. I'm almost done. I know some of you are uncomfortable, but just hang with me. What that, how that fleshes out for us is this. We have so much at our disposal that now when we walk in, if the worship team doesn't sing a particular, not, not just a particular song, a particular style of song produced by a particular church, we don't want to listen to it. So if it's not a hill song, every song, I don't want to hear it. I can't even worship if it's not a hill song. If it's not Bethel, then it can't be anointed. Y'all laugh, but some of y'all thinking, well, if, it, if it's not out of a hymn book, and if Clint Brown didn't produce it, or Andre Crouch, or Donnie McClurkin, or Fred Hammond, which is my preference, then it can't be anointed, and certainly I can't worship. So I'll just let them do their thing, and then I'll, and then I'll just go out and go, well, they didn't have it today because they didn't sing my stuff. We sit on our hands because we're picky. We are so exposed to preaching that our eyes glaze over. And we play on our phones. We are so exposed to his presence that we begin to ignore it. We're so, we have such mass production that we can actually skip meals with no thought. So we have plenty, and it causes us to become more concerned about preference. There are people exiting fellowship based on volume and lights and paint and convenience and whether there's a buzz about that church, and we never give thought to the fact that we are privileged and blessed. Churches become more like a flavor of the month club. And then we start this mess, because here's the second lie. I need something new. I, I need something new. I begin to think about this, this morning. The Lord spoke to me early this morning. I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it tells us to do something new. I, I'm very familiar with the fact that God says he will do something new. But I can't find anywhere where it says, go do something new. In fact, what, I, what, what woke me up this morning was the thought that in Revelation, the, the writer, the, Jesus says to the church, go back and do the old stuff. Go back and remember your first love. Go back and remember where you fell in love with Jesus. Go back and remember what it's like to get to worship Him. Go back and remember what it's like to hear His word for the first time. Go back and do the old stuff. doesn't say diddly squat about doing something new. Our longing for new. I, I need something different than manna. I'm tired of buttermilk crisps. I want a chocolate long john. <laughs> I want you to hear this statement. I stumbled across this statement months and months and months ago, and it wrecked my world. And then I came back across it as I was thinking about where we are. Tom Rayner makes this statement. He's a church growth consultant. He studies churches. 
He made this statement, and he is right. When the preference of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. So if preference for style is more important to you than experiencing presence, and if comfort is paramount in your mind, then we are in trouble. If it bothers you that the worship team did not sing your favorite song this week, more than it bothers you that when we call for people to get saved, nobody got saved. Then we're dying. If, if you disconnect when we pray for the salvation of our movers, even though we've proven statistically that the number of people that have gotten saved has exponentially grown since we actually begin to pray every Sunday for people that aren't saved, if you disconnect from that and go, I wish they'd find something new to do, and I wish they would just quit doing that. It's just a routine. It's just a tradition. It's just a waste of service time. We could actually decrease service by three minutes and 32 seconds, and I could get to lunch quicker if they just quit doing that. I, then we are dying. So what do you have an abundance of? What do we have an abundance of because if we're not careful that abundance will lead us to a loss of appetite Solomon is the perfect illustration of what happens if you have an abundance of things and what it does to you because Solomon had an abundance he had an abundance of power he had an abundance of influence he had an abundance of pleasure he had an abundance of money and when you go read what he says in Ecclesiastes when it gets to the end he says this it was all folly it didn't really matter I'm empty because his abundance caused him to lose his appetite for righteousness. The plague of plenty in his life resulted in famine. So my question this morning is simply this. Are you plagued? Has the abundance of worship in your life caused you to take moments of his presence for granted? Has the abundance of access to his word resulted in looking for life somewhere else? Has the blessing of fellowship and relationship with brothers and sisters in the body been cast aside without a second thought simply because you are full? So comfort and convenience causes you to tune in in our PJs just because it's a little bit too much of work to come and fit as part of the body. And so Sunday after Sunday, not, I'm not talking about vacation. Sunday after Sunday, we walk around in here with arms missing and legs missing and toes missing and ears missing just because I didn't want to get up on Sunday morning because I stayed up too late Sunday, Saturday night on more important things. Okay, Rod. Has preference become paramount to you? Is preference king? I'm going to ask one question, make about two more statements, and I promise I'm done. Here's the question. This is the crux of the matter. What happens if God is still using something that you have grown bored with or that you're tired of? 
If manna is still the means by which God wants to sustain you, what are you going to do if you become weary with manna? Okay, y'all are looking at me with glazed over eyes. Apparently you can't make the application. What are you going to do if you're tired of passion? And yet it was God's desire to use passion to fill you. What are you going to do if you've grown tired of our worship team because they don't sound like that other worship team that you have access to 24 hours a day on your iPhone? What are you going to do if God wanted to use this worship team to lead you into His presence? If manna is still the means by which he desires to fill you and you have preference for fish, it will result in a famine. Okay, I've overstayed my welcome. Here's where I'm at. I want to avoid the plague so I can avoid the famine. But let's be honest, I don't want to lack for anything. Right? So what's the solution? We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, but I just want to tell you then... This is where we've got to be. We have to pursue presence rather than getting locked up in the prison of preference. And if we can sense his presence, then style no longer matters. I simply wanted to challenge you this morning. Couldn't it, could it be that we're experiencing the plague of plenty? Have we atrophied in affluence? We're blessed. Could it be that we are on the verge of full-scale famine simply because we are so blessed that we are now only mindful of preferred blessings? Could our wants have become more important than our needs? This is my cry, and I wrote it out. May God shake us from our slumber and our apathy and renew our appetite before we starve while we push steak away because we're tired of steak. Could it be, and I believe that we are, we are in the same exact moment that the rich young ruler found himself in when when he approached Jesus. We have a decision to make. We can either choose plenty or we can choose presence. So if I'm right, then I'm asking you to throw off our allegiance and our affections for comfort. I'm asking you to throw off your allegiance to routine. And I'm asking you to throw off your allegiance to status quo. And once again to begin to pursue the presence of God as if our life and our future depend on getting to Him. Where are the cries for revival? Where are the cries for the lost? Where are the cries that we've heard in our past of people crying out for more? Where are those that that are so desperate to worship Him that we could sing every song they hate and they still pursue God with everything that they have? Where are those that soak up the Word of God like they are starved? Where are the people that are willing to press in and to tarry and to cry out, God, move us and fill us. We need you. No, we just want to get in our car and drive our car autopilot to this parking lot every Sunday morning. And we walk in sleepy and tired and we don't really give a rip. We just want to get out of here by noon because then we've done our due diligence and we can go on starving to death. 
I'm asking you not to lie to yourself this morning. Kim, come on. I won't stop. Hear my heart this morning. I am. You know. Surely you know. By all the things that we've done in our history, passion sports, dog days of summer, Easter egg hunts, trunk or treats, block parties, pantries. I am for social justice. I want to meet the needs of our people in our communities. But we are not only about social justice. There are all kinds of organizations all over Oklahoma City and in the state of Oklahoma. Some of them do their jobs great. Some of them stink. But they are designed for the purpose of helping people with their needs. I want us to do that because I don't want us to hold up in here and just worship God and forget them and say, well, if they, they want us, they know where we are. No. But at the same time, I don't want us to become trapped by this idea we're just here to feed people. And we're here to clothe people. That's it. We don't, we, we're here to, to get them a free hot dog. No. We are here to experience the power and the presence of God. We are here to experience the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit so that we become full, so that when we go serve the hot dog, we're not just serving them food. We also have something else to give them. I'm concerned this morning that maybe we can't say like Peter and Paul, silver and gold have I none such as I have given unto you. Maybe we have the silver. Maybe we have the gold. Maybe we don't have the Holy Spirit because we're picky. And so when they come to us, want something all we have is the something and not the one thing I'm asking for desperate I'm, a, I'm asking for passion rise up be easy to lead worship for again be easy to preach to again be the ones that refuse to go home until I get a hold of Jesus be the ones that walk through these, these, the, the walls of this building and see each other, see someone hurting and you're broken in your heart and you can't help it. You've got to go hug on them and pray for them. And you've got some choices this morning. You can lie and justify your family. You can settle in the wilderness. You can lay down and quit or you can push for more there will be no dismissal this morning this is what we're going to do they're going to play and sing I personally because this is <laughs> my preference ah Okay. Maybe I won't do that now because that is my preference. My preference is to lay face down on the carpet, but maybe that's too comfortable and I can get distracted. I'm going to find me a place. And 
I'm going to spend some time talking to God and say, asking you doesn't fit go home if you're not apathetic go then you're more fired up than you've ever been more passionate for Jesus than you've ever been in your entire life then go home because I'm not talking to you I'm talking to those of us that our eyes have glazed over and we've become very picky and we haven't felt God in a long time I'm asking find yourself a place to pray and to be ruthless about your spiritual condition. If I could just get something new, I'd be all right. No. Thanks for being here this morning.
in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. I want more of you. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be here in your love, here in your love. No place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place. But here in your love. Okay. 
to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.